Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. The scripture tonight is in Luke chapter 9, and if you didn't get one of these, uh, Worship guides, uh, there are some over here. Now about eight days after these sayings, and if you look and have your Bibles tonight, these sayings include where Jesus, just a week before, was with his disciples and he was praying. And he asked them, who do men say I am? Well, let's continue. After these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let us pray. Father, May your word shine into our hearts tonight. Challenge us afresh to love you, to serve you, to have confidence in all that your word says. And may it be so to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the occasion, as it says in several other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, is that Jesus led them up a high mountain, a high mountain. I've never been there, but about the highest mountain in that region would be Mount Hermon. And it's a little over 9,000 feet. Some years ago when I was in France, we got to the base of Mount Blanc. And we took a tramway up to one level, and then we got on another tramway, went up to another level, And we were up about 10,000 feet. And immediately it was very cold. And I could feel 
the pressure in my ears and I couldn't breathe as well because the air is thin. And uh, well, it was an awakening to go that quickly to that height. However, the disciples following him, Peter, James, John, followed the Lord. Now, I've not climbed any mountains of any significance, but a mountain of 9,000 feet is a significant climb. It takes time because you're climbing up pathways. On a lower level, you're going between trees. There are lots of rocks there whereby you can stumble. So you have to be careful when you're climbing up. And so after climbing a mountain, if it was Mount Hermon, those disciples were exhausted and it took time. Perhaps it was one or two o'clock in the afternoon when they got there. And the Bible says, as we read earlier, they were tiring. Now, not long before that, as I said, a week or so before, the, the Lord said, who do, you, who do the crowds say I am? And as the scripture tells us, if you read earlier part of Luke chapter 9, they said, perhaps Elijah, or John the baptizer, or another prophet, most likely Moses. And then the Lord said, but I want to ask you another question. Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter really hit the ball with the bat, smack on, and said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, yes, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter nailed it. But very shortly after he made that confession, you remember when the Lord started to say, the beginning of his suffering and his being persecuted and rejected by men, and then he would be beaten and scourged and finally suffer death. And he said, I would rise again. Now, Peter at that point said, oh, no, far be it from you, Lord, not to be done, not so. And Jesus then said to him, and you remember, don't you? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You savor not the things of God, but the things of men. The crucifixion wasn't very clear to disciples at this point. But on this occasion, as they have come up the mountain, the Bible tells us Jesus went up to pray. Stop, men. Get your rest in a moment. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray. In Luke 18, it says, men ought always to pray and not to be faint or fearful. Praying is so important. They got up on the top or near the top of the mountain, and there they are praying. And the Bible says here, as you have it in your te text, as he was a praying, as he was praying, you know what's happening. The disciples are sleeping. Now, I've never tried to climb 9,000 9, feet, but I would estimate that if you tried to climb 9,000 feet and the air was thin 
and you had to take a break, maybe grab some water from the brooks coming down from the mountain, you would be thirsty and then you would be sleepy. And having climbed that mountain, well, the Lord's just praying over there. Let's sit down and rest a bit. You know, we have prayer meetings here at Westminster, and I've been uh, there, a lot of them, and I have actually sat there leading the prayer meeting and discussion, and then we start to pray, and guess what? I won't name anybody, <laughs> but somebody in that prayer meeting <laughs> fell asleep. Now, that person was in his 80s, or her 80s, I won't say which, but they fell asleep. And I must confess, I've even dozed off in a sermon too. None of you have, of course. Especially with Dr. Walker or Dr. Rogers or any of our other pastors. But they fell asleep. And then, and then, and behold! Did you jump? <laughs> well, you should. You see what the scripture says? Look at it, verse 30. And behold, God is getting people's attention. Behold sig signifies something called look. Now think of this. The disciples went up the mountain and they stopped. And then they get up there and here are the disciples falling asleep and something happens while they're asleep. And behold, look. Stop up there and look at what's happening. And what was happening was one thing, one thing that was amazing. The scriptures say in the three synoptic gospels that Jesus' face was altered. One of the Greek words is metamorphosized. You know what that means. In such a way that it was like a lightning flash. It was so dazzling one of the other authors of the scripture says it was like the sun. There is the Lord transfigured before all these people. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? Guess what? The disciples didn't see it. They were sound asleep at first. Isn't that like us? We certainly tend to lose track of the most important things. And the Bible tells us that the two men who were standing, catch it, standing, men are men, and men stand. They weren't floating. They weren't in a cloud of uh, mysteriousness at this point. They were standing there. And the men were Elijah and Moses. Now, Elijah was dead for 700 years. Think of that. Moses was dead for twice as long, 1,400 years. Now, if we could go back from this time in 2000, about 700 years, and you could meet somebody, you know who you might meet? You might meet Marco Polo. You might meet William Wallace and his friend Robert the Bruce. You might meet Dante, who wrote The Inferno, or you might re meet Wycliffe or Chaucer, two great English significant 
people. Now, if you could go back 1,400 years from 2000, you would meet people like Gregory the Great. You would meet Justinian. You would meet the first Chinese conqueror of the Tang Dynasty. And you would probably meet somebody we don't want to meet, Muhammad. Finally, you would meet King Arthur, if you could go back 700 years and talk to somebody, or 1,400 years and talk to somebody. Now, these two men are quite significant, Moses and Elijah, because only a week before, they were talking with the Lord when he asked them, who do men say I am? Elijah. Moses, one of the other prophets, perhaps David, perhaps Samuel. But as they are there, the Scripture says they were in glorious splendor. They spoke. Men that had standing were speaking. And here's my question. What might men who have been in heaven speak? What would you speak had you been in heaven 700 years? Well, you might, if you were, if you were e Elijah, you might say, well, uh, I can tell you of some kings I knew there, David, or uh, some of my fellow prophets, uh, Jeremiah or Daniel, well, not Daniel, but uh, Ezekiel, you might be able to say, I was talking with them. But if you were there for 1,400 years, you would say, besides those men like Noah, I had the privilege of speaking with the Lord. They're not sleeping in heaven. They're sleeping on top of the mountain. <laughs> but they're not sleeping in heaven. I have a brother-in-law who's a pastor, part-time pastor in a denomination that holds to soul sleep. That is, when you die, you just sleep until the second coming of Christ. I disagree with him. I love him. I don't bring up the subject. But he's wrong. These men weren't sleeping. They were talking. They were standing. And they were discussing no, they, uh, they were recognized. And by the way, you know, it says that as they appeared to the Lord, they're talking with him and asking him something very important. They weren't asking, how are my great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren? They weren't asking, uh, what's the current political crisis right now down there on the earth? They weren't asking anything pertaining to the current culture, political, religious, anything else. They were asking and speaking with him about his departure, about his suffering, about his death, and about his resurrection. Now, do you suppose if you're in heaven for 700 years, or 1,400 years, or longer, like Noah, maybe many more hundreds of years, or even thousands of years 
of Adam and Eve, would you be in heaven talking about, uh, hey, how's the golf course over there? <laughs> of course not, though some people hold to that. They think, when I get to heaven, I'll do what I liked on earth. No, these people were concerned about one thing and one thing only. Have you died? Or when is your death? When is your suffering? As Isaiah said, when is your time of being smitten and stricken and later crucified? That is what they wanted to know about. Now, there are many things that are important. But those two men recognized that their being up there in heaven was dependent on what Christ did down here. Amen? That's yeah, very important. Because Christ was on his way for the cross. And about this time, here comes the men who were gradually awaking from their sleep. There was no cloud on them yet, and they did their stretching, and they looked over to the Lord, and what do they see? But two men, Moses and Elijah. Now, how did they know that they were Moses and Elijah? People say, will I see my loved ones in heaven? Will I recognize them? Well, what does the scripture teach there? The disciples, Peter, James, and John, recognized both Moses and Elijah. But their interest was such that they were wanting to know, what about your decease? Now, isn't that a sad, sad discussion? You'd think if you'd been in heaven for a while, you'd want to talk about all the glories of it. You'd think how wonderful it is to be there where your loved ones are. And incidentally, isn't it nice that these men who were there in heaven representing many other people, certainly representing the law and certainly representing the prophets, were there, and many other people were obviously in heaven. Can't you get excited about that? I see so many people over the years here, and uh, heaven is a, a wonderful joy to look upon. And here is Peter stretching, and James and John, and they, the scripture says, they said, and Peter said, now fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. What must that have been like to see his glory? Remember Jesus said in John, in my father's house are many mansions. Were it not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also? The best thing about heaven is it's where Jesus is. Nothing else ever comes up to that level. Where is the Lord? Praise God for that. Now, here at this point, Peter, pretty excited, says, Oh, Lord, it's good to be here. And uh, Moses and Elijah are parting. It's a parting party. <laughs> And uh, Peter says, Lord, it's good to be here. Let's make some tabernacles. Let's make some tents. We'll just camp out here forever. 
Peter had a wife, but he's not even thinking of her now because Jesus is there. I just want to be here with you, Jesus, forever. May that, that will be, but not quite yet. It would be impossible because Christ has to go to the cross. Though it would be good to stay there forever, you couldn't without the cross. Geldenhaus, a commentator on this, brings out a point that I never thought of. It's that Peter was so anxious to just stay there forever that that's good. And it was another way, an oblique way, of challenging Christ to avoid the cross. Not only did he say earlier, far be it from you to be crucified, but here he says, Lord, let's, let's just stay here. Let's be here forever. But that wasn't to be the case. And as Peter is speaking, the Bible tells us that a cloud descends. In 1973, in October, a serious foggy cloud descended on the New Jersey Turnpike up near Sea Caucus, near the Hackensack River. It just dropped down on the highway, and there was a 65-vehicle crash. Nine people, at least, were killed. Forty were injured. And when you are in a situation where there is nothing but a cloud, when you're stopped and you're no longer seeing, you start to do something else, and that is listening and exactly what would come shortly thereafter. The voice would come from the Father. This is my beloved Son, my chosen one. The other Gospels say, the one whom I love. Why this? Why this? Well, they couldn't see now, could they? <laughs> the cloud dropped on them, and all they could do was do some listening, as one of our pastors uh, pastor Matt said that a few weeks ago, as did the other pastors. We to listen, we're to listen to the Word of God. And, of course, later Christ would take two disciples on the, the road to Emmaus, and uh, they didn't recognize him there. And he sat down, he, he walked on the road, I should say, and was talking about all the prophets and the law, Moses and the prophets, and telling them everything the Scripture depicted about the coming Christ. They should have known. However, yet they're listening. And you've got to be fair. The disciples had only been listening for about a week about the coming of Christ to suffer and die and rise again. It had only been about a week. So it was hard to get through. And even after the Lord's Supper, it was hard to get through. They all forsook him and fled. Uh, Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Quite a terrible crisis that came. But Jesus said, listen, listen to the prophets. Listen to Moses. And God the Father was telling them to listen to the one who was better than Moses, who was fulfilling what the scriptures say, what all the prophets say. He wasn't putting them down, but he was the fulfillment of all those scriptures. And he's the one to really listen to now, says the Father. Now, 
just a little bit of a astrology, astronomy lesson, I should say. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, by faith we understand that this universe was created by the Word of God. Genesis 1 says, in beginning, God, God created the universe. In John 1, 3, it says, all things were made by Him, the Word of God, the living Christ, who's the Word of God. Now, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, not miles per hour, miles per second. That's faster than warp speed, if you're a Star Trek fan. It's, it's faster than any rocket that we can make. And at that speed, 186,000 miles per second, if you could go from one end of our galaxy, look up, this is just Earth's sky, but if it were dark, we could see some stars out there. But if you were able to go from one end of the galaxy to the other end, at the speed of light, it would take 200,000 years. That's how vast our Milky Way is. If you were to go to the next distant galaxy, Andromeda, it would take two and a half million years at the speed of light. And if you've lit, looked at some of the Hubble telescope pictures, they're phenomenal. How many of you have seen Hubble pictures? Isn't it fascinating? And Hubble has seen out only so far as it can see. It can't see out beyond that. But if, if we could go to what we can see out there at the speed of light, it would take 46 and a half billion years at the speed of light. Now that makes me feel small, but it also tells me how amazing our Creator God is. When we see His creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows His handiwork, we realize how great is the Creator. And by the way, 42 years ago, our people at Cape Canaveral sent up a satellite, Voyager 2. Voyager 2? You know how far it's gotten? Just past our solar system in 42 years at the measly speed of 25,000 miles per hour. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And our Lord, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, and I won't quote all the verses, but in Isaiah 44, listen to this. God says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth. He spread the heavens and the earth. He made its foundation. I am the Lord who made all things. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 12. He goes to say, not only am I the creator, but Isaiah says that this Messiah would be the Redeemer the Redeemer. And praise God, that's the case. Isaiah chapter 51 says, Look to the rock from whom, from which you were hewn. Look to God, the rock who made us. Peter, not Peter, but David often said, The Lord is my rock and my salvation. Isaiah says, Are you afraid of man? Don't be. He said to his ancient people, Forget 
you're forgetting the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens. Soon Christ, however, in his eternal way, would suffer, not as the creator, but as the redeemer. Listen to Isaiah chapter 51. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. Fear not, man, for the worm will eat them up. I discovered this week that verse, the worm will eat them up by Christ's righteousness forever. His is the salvation, and to him will that worm eat up all those who oppose him, and salvation will come to many generations. You know what metamorphosis is. You know a butterfly starts out as a worm. It attaches after the egg is laid, attaches to a plant, a cocoon is built around it, and soon thereafter comes the beautiful butterfly. Well, that's the word. But however, the scripture tells us that Christ in Psalm 22 was a worm. He said, I am a worm. I am a worm and not a man. He was scorned in that psalm. He was mocked. He was forsaken. He was roared at as if by lions. He was poured out. He was dried up. He was pierced in death's dust. That is the worm. And yet, Christ became that hellish mess that we may have heavenly dress. What will it be like when we are transfigured from this lowly form that we are right now? Well, here's what the disciples saw. They see the Lord. They see these two men of God for a few moments. Amazing apparel. Christ flashing like lightning. And then the cloud comes and the voice of God says, listen, listen to my beloved son. They needed to listen. And we need to listen. I know, I, I want to be with the Lord in many ways. None, none of us knows when our time is. Our time is in God's hands. We had two people just in the last week and a half go to be with the Lord. They're in God's hands. But it's so important for us to always remember the cross came before the crown. The agony came before the glory. And these disciples needed to be pressured and told and, and led to see that troubles were coming, first of all for Christ their Lord, and then for them. John the Baptist was beheaded. James would be stabbed by a sword. Peter would be crucified, likely upside down. And these men needed to be encouraged that they have a life to live. They have perhaps 30 more years to live. You and I may have 10, 20, 40, 50 more years to live. We've got to live for the Lord. It's a good life. The crown will come. 
the glory will come. But the cross has to be born now. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. How are we following the Lord? Are you, first of all, doing what the Lord did? When he was with his disciples, he led the way, praying. When they went up the mountain and climbed near the top, they were led by the Lord to pray. And we can't forget that at the moment of Christ's greatest agony, when he asked the Father, if it's possible, let this cup be passed away from me, if it's possible. The disciples, where were they? Taking a nap. They were sleeping. So easy to sleep, isn't it? We have to ask the Lord. But, you know, we do have a record of faithfulness by these men. Just read the book of Acts. It's amazing how God gave Peter courage to stand for the truth. He said, we ought to obey God rather than man. He got corrected on Judaizing, but he became a servant of the Lord. And he wrote two epistles. And uh, in his last epistle, 2 Peter, he says, listen, brothers, I want you to know that I did not follow a cleverly devised fable. This isn't like ancient Greek, ancient Rome. This is the truth. I did not follow myths. He says in that chapter, I was an eyewitness. I saw him. And when I saw him, I saw him in his honor and glory which we received from the Father. We heard and we listened to God the Father who said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. How are you listening? <laughs> are you taking God's word? Are you getting time every day with the Lord? Are you being an example to your children or grandchildren? There's no way to listen unless our hearts are committed to reading God's Word. That's really what these pastors all do. We read, we study, we share what we are listening to. And by the way, I think, though it doesn't say here, I think that cloud was an, uh, uh, an appearance of the Holy Spirit. So often in ancient Israel, didn't the cloud come and protect the people and lead them by day. May God help us to be led by his word. Uh, if we're having a hard time, stop. Stop what you're doing and pray. And then look into the word. See what it says. And listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, help us. We are weak people. We don't want to, and I don't want to put a guilt trip on anyone, but there's no way a Christian can survive without feeding on your word. You have sent your son, the living word, and he dispensed so much of the written word. So help us, Lord, help us. And we thank you, as we did this morning, to hear how in our vacation Bible school, uh, so many boys and girls 
uh, receive the knowledge of what the Word of God says. We thank you that we can gather together with our families in home devotions, that we can teach in Sunday school. And Lord, we pray that we adults come as little children, humble and meek, deliver us from pride and thinking we have already made it in your kingdom. We're just travelers, Lord, and help us to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily clings. Enable us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, but now ascended at the right hand of God. In his name we pray. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.